Your garden soil is the key to success in your garden. But what happens when your soil is lacking in certain nutrients? Today, you and I will look at the 10 common, well, there's a little bit more than 10, soil deficiencies that could be holding your garden back. From iron to potassium, I'll explain what each deficiency looks like, how it impacts your plants, and how to solve the problem. By the end of this episode, you'll know how to give your garden the boost it needs. Let's get growing. Hello, and welcome to the Prages Plant Podcast, the show that talks about growing, growing a garden, a homestead, a healthy family, and most importantly, growing closer to God. I'm your host, Crystal Media, owner of the Red Ridge Farm Homestead, where our mission is to help women of faith find the courage to grow healthy food for their family while building a closer relationship with our Lord and Savior. That's you. Don't let the world hold you back. Pray, just plant. Welcome, fellow growers, to the Pray Just Plant podcast. I'm your host, Crystal Media, and today in Season 10, Episode 2, we're going to be talking about soil deficiencies, but also in a kind of a reverse fashion, what amendments you could be adding to your soil if you are noticing these deficiencies. Now, disclaimer here, one of the biggest problems when it comes to amendments, especially in the garden, is that the big companies like your fertilizer companies, they push just the big three. And we're going to talk about the big three. They are important. But As a grower that wants to know more about her soil, wants to dive deep into more than just the big three, there's actually 15 nutrients or micronutrients that your soil needs. Now I'm going to go into a few of the nutrients that kind of in a scale of how your plants need them. So the reason nitrogen, potassium, phosphorus are the big three is because they are actually um, behind carbon and oxygen. They're the biggest nutrient factors that your plants need. But then it goes down and you're going to need more things like iron and sulfur and magnesium. Those are all little intricate pieces that your soil needs as well. Um, Calcium. And I've got a great story about my calcium deficiency in my battle that I've been dealing with here in my garden. So the disclaimer is also that I'm going to be pretty much saying that a lot of the solutions for deficiencies is compost or organic matter. And the reason that is, is because one, I am an organic grower. I'm not going to use a lot of commercial type fertilizers. And if you do hear me mention fertilizers, I'm going to be talking about not necessarily fertilizers or chemical fertilizers, but amendments, natural amendments that are going to take time to break down. Because one thing we have to remember is that our soil is a medium for one of the most important, you could say animal or most important helper on in your soil, on your homestead, and that's your microorganisms. All of these things are for technically to, especially when it comes to carbon and oxygen and water, those are all for the microorganisms so that they can live and break down those natural amendments to make them readily available for your plants. In a little bit general, the reason compost sometimes is the answer to a lot of these deficiencies or like in my story that I'm going to tell you is because they are the ones doing the work and we need to make sure that we have the proper 
things available for them so that our soil can provide our plants with what they need. Now I'm going to go through each of the different nutrients that your plants need that need to be in your soil and I'm going to go kind of a little bit out of order. We're going to start with the big three and they're going to be like the fourth, fifth, and sixth micronutrients if you were to put them, if you were to rank them from one to ten with the one being the most important nutrient that you need to provide for your plants, they're going to be the three and four. And then we're going to get into the smaller ones, the micronutrients, and then we're going to end with what I feel are truly your big three that you need in your garden. And that really, when you get these big three in balance, the other 15, well, actually would be, do a little math here, the other 12 will fall into place. But I want you to pay attention to, especially if you did a garden audit last year and you noticed some different colorization in your soil or in your plants, if you notice um, just some not as healthy as vigor plants, listen to some of the symptoms and maybe you can even use your plants or your garden audit to find out what deficiencies you're experiencing. And you may not experience all of these deficiencies in every single one of your beds because sometimes what happens, especially if you are companion planting or succession planting, if you planted a heavy feeder like broccoli, something that takes lots of nutrients, and then plant something like another heavy feeder, and then that heavy feeder struggles, the reason why is because the first heavy heavy feeder really stripped the soil and you didn't replenish it. You always want to, especially when you're figuring out your fertilization schedule, and I learned this through several books. The greatest book was that I learned this from was The Market Gardener by Jean-Martin Fortier. And I did a great podcast episode about the things that I learned from that book. It's something you should go into because even though you're not a market gardener, even though you may not be, I personally try to grow as much food as I can, but maybe you're doing this as a hobby or maybe you're just getting started. But when you really want to dive into understanding your soil, you have to understand and you have to keep track of and you have to to keep records so that you can connect some of these things. And that's where the garden audit comes into. And I will put a link in the show notes about a garden audit and how you can do it. It's just really just how you keep records and how you kind of wrap up your season and you keep your notes because you're going to go through the winter and then try to remember everything. You're just not going to. It's just a way for you to write things down. The other thing that you need really before you, and you can listen to some of the symptoms that I'm going to be talking about, but I'm also going to be telling you, you need to do a soil test and you can do some easy soil tests at home. They're not going to be as accurate. You can send your soil off to a lab. That's what I do here in Wyoming and probably a lot of farming communities. They have, for agriculture, they will do uh, soil tests for very cheap because they actually have labs that do it quite often. So look into it. Just Google it and find a lab near you that tests soil. I get my soil tested for free. So just be aware of the things around you. You don't have to, you know, try to worry about doing it yourself. You can lean on someone else. And when you get your soil tested by a lab, that's when you're going to dive into more of those nutrients. Because when you only buy a little uh, soil testing from a big box store, you're only going to be testing what they th- say are the big three, potassium, phosphorus, and nitrogen, which they are important, but they're technically four, five, and six in the order of things your plants 
need or your soil needs because we have to feed the soil so the soil feeds our plants. It's kind of a connection there and sometimes we jump over that. So I want you to remember every time that I bring up a soil deficiency, think about that from that point point of view. I'm feeding the soil so I can feed my plants. Feed the soil and who in the soil are we technically feeding? We're feeding those micro organisms. I kind of just said it too, but you know that the crucial part of your success is your soil. Sometimes we forget about that and there's deficiencies. There's things that your soil needs. So the first one let's start with is nitrogen deficiencies. Nitrogen is very common. Deficiencies can happen with nitrogen. I have nitrogen deficiencies in my soil. If you grow for a long time in the same area, you are going to end up with nitrogen deficiencies if you do not feed your soil. So one of the great ways to replace nitrogen is, yes, compost or alfalfa meal or manure. If you're on a homestead, manure is very high. Depending on what manure or whom you get the manure from, it has different levels of nitrogen. You want to break that down, especially if you use chicken manure. It's very high in nitrogen. It is so high in nitrogen that it can burn your plants. So that's why it's put into compost, grass clippings. Those are all nitrogen suppliers. Because anything green, anything still living, anything still having kind of what is life in a plant has nitrogen in it. Your plants that you grow have nitrogen in it. So when you grow a cover crop and you don't let it die back and you cut it down, all that nitrogen will be in that that cover crop that you'll put into your compost. Also, you can actually fix nitrogen from the air. There's nitrogen in our air. Sometimes we just think that air is oxygen only, but our air is so much more than that, and certain plants do that. So you have cover crops like peas and beans and any legumes. I think vetch is a a legume as well. And those are going to pull more nitrogen into the plant that you can put into your compost. But how do you know you have nitrogen deficiencies? Let's look at that. Plants may appear pale and their leaves may turn yellow. In severe cases, leaves may become stunted or die off. If left unchecked, can significantly reduce the yield of your garden. So that's another thing too. And that's where that garden audit is going to be so important. In the garden audit, you're going to keep track of how many pounds of peas you had, how many pounds of tomatoes you had, how many pounds or how many cans did you get uh, canned up, all of that is going to help you keep track of your yield. So then you can tell if you have a loss, if there, if you have a big drop in yield, that's going to really, and that also points to a few other ones because yield comes with flowering and your root system. And that gets us into the other two um, industrial big three, and that's phosphorus and potassium. So let's talk about phosphorus first. Phosphorus is another essential nutrient that plants require to grow and produce flowers and fruit. So if your yields really drop, it can be, and your plants are stunted, that can be nitrogen. But if your plants are doing really good, they're growing really well, but they're not flowering very well and you're not getting a high yield because the flowers just aren't forming. In fact, calcium deficiency or blossom end root is also tied in with this. It's kind of a mixture. Everybody says it's just calcium, but it's not. It's a mixture. I'm going to tell that story in just a minute. But phosphorus is all about your fruiting. Also, when phosphorus levels are low, plants may exhibit stunted growth. Same as above with that nitrogen. And they'll have difficulty developing a strong root system. Leaves may also appear dark green or bluish green. And older leaves may turn yellow or purple. 
So do you see how, I mean, it's important to watch your plans and it's important to always keep track of and keep an audit of your yields and keep information going. But sometimes it's really hard to pinpoint the exact nutrient deficiency when you only look at your plants. But it's going to give you an idea. It's going to point you somewhere at least, right? So do pay attention to that. And one common cause of phosphorus deficiency in the soil is because it's too alkaline. So alkaline goes into our pH of our soil. So the human body, anything that is pretty much neutral is right there at that seven. Anything, I'm not sure which way, but if you go off from that, if you, I'm not sure if it's up or down, but if you go away from that, you're going either acidic or you're going to alkaline or base. Things that are acidic, tomatoes are a little bit more acidic. That's why you can water bath can them. Um, Really acidic, you're going to be talking about your chlorine, all of those types of things. And then your bases are going to be like your baking soda and uh, those type of things. Different also areas And we're going to talk about a little bit of how you can fix your pH with lime or wood ash. But when your soil is too alkaline, this can prevent your plants from absorbing phosphorus. And so by adding organic matter, there's those two words again, or using a supplement that is formulated with phosphorus, you can alleviate some of these issues. But remember, if you're using a fertilizer that has phosphorus in it and you're still not getting, you're like, I'm experiencing low phosphorus, but it's not being utilized, but I'm putting it in my soil. What's going on? That's when you're going to go back and you're going to look at your pH of your soil. So it's really important that you get your soil tested. I'm going to be probably saying that a lot in this episode. Testing your soil gives you eyes on the problem. And sometimes, you know, it's it's not something that you have to do every year. It's not something that it's nice if you could do it multiple times a year. But you do need to keep track of that. And you need to, to have notes, at least, of understanding what you are growing. And if you're using any cover crops or organic matter, all of that is going to pull in to understanding the nutrients your soil needs. But what I was saying was that if your pH is off and you are still putting phosphorus in your soil, putting uh, rock phosphate or that's a natural fertilizer or a natural amendment that you can be using, be sure to be checking out your pH because pH is so important not only for phosphorus but a lot of other nutrients. So the next one is potassium. Potassium affects your plant's growth. So potassium is essential for many plants' functions, including photosynthesis, water uptake, and disease resistance. Like phosphorus, potassium is also mobile in the soil, meaning that it can move around easily and be taken up into your plants. But if your plants are lacking something else or your soil's too acidic, It still can be locked into the soil and the plants aren't available for it. Or if you don't have those microorganisms breaking that potassium down for you, then you're going to have problems. So symptoms of potassium deficiency can vary depending on the type of plant you're growing. But the most common signs are yellowing or browning on the leaf edges. You have weak stems and stunted growth. Poor fruit quality and susceptible to disease are also indicators of potassium deficiency. To prevent or to correct potassium deficiency, consider applying potassium-rich fertilizers or 
those two words again, organic matter to your soil, because you're feeding organic matter feeds those microorganisms, they do the work, they break down that fertilizer or those amendments for you. The potassium can be found in compost, wood ash, and bone meal. Those are the three things that I use in my organic garden. There's also a warning here that you need to do your soil test to make sure it's potassium because you do not want to over fertilize with potassium because this can interfere with your calcium intake and lead to other nutrients imbalances. And I'm going to tell that story in just a moment about my, when we get to calcium, because it's a, it's a funny story. And now when I look back on it, I can say it's a funny story, but in the moment, in the grunge of it, when my tomatoes were not growing, it was not funny. But I want to get into that and the other deficiencies the more of the micro deficiencies in just a moment, but right now it is time for the tip and trick segment of this episode where I share a few bonus tips and tricks I use here at Red Ridge Farmstead. This week's tip is brought to you by the Building Soil Health Handbook. This handbook was designed to help you take the guessing out of improving your soil, to help you become the expert your soil has been waiting for you to be. Many of us think that we're gardeners of vegetables and gardeners of fruits, but we're not. We are stewards of the soil. In this handbook, I walk you through the four steps I've used here at the farm to improve my soil. I want to help you become the expert that you never realized you could be. To grab your free copy, go to redridgefarm.org backslash resources. It's spring and now is the time that you're getting your baby chicks. So I want to give you a few tips to make sure that you have a brooder set up for them before they arrive. So what is a brooder? A brooder is a place that is secure and safe and warm for your baby chicks. What you're essentially doing is you're making a place that almost is like mama hen. You're finding a place that has safety and security from predators. Now you may not think that you have predators in your home, but if you have a cat or a dog, they can hurt your baby chicks if they're not protected. If you have your baby chicks out in a shed, they are going to need to be in a place that mice or rats or predators can't get into or your barn cats. You're also going to need warmth. Mama hen usually sits on her baby chicks to keep them warm. So you're going to need a heat lamp of some sort that will warm up an area. You don't want the heat lamp to cover the whole area, but a small section of your brooder so that the baby chicks can wander over to it and use it to warm their bodies. Now you don't want to place your food or your water underneath this area because then a baby chick that is too hot may not go in for that food and water when it needs it so desperately. So make sure that the food and water are placed outside of the warm area of your brooder. Next, you're going to need food and water. You want to get a crumble, something that is small and tiny. You also want to provide grit. Grit is how chickens digest their food or chew up their food. They don't have teeth, they have a gizzard. And even small baby chicks, mama hen usually takes them out to gather these things, even they need grit. Also in your water, you need to have some electrolytes or something in there that is going to help prevent disease and sickness and to give those baby chicks a little boost. If they've come in the mail, they have just hatched and then went on a trip 
across the United States to your home. So they're going to be under stress. You need to get them something that's going to alleviate that stress in their water. What I suggest that you add to your water that can be found in your home is a crushed garlic clove. This is going to help fight any diseases and give them that immune boost. You also want to put in a little bit of honey. Honey is a natural electrolyte. It's going to give them all the nutrients that they need to get that good start for you. So when you're getting your baby chicks, make sure that you're ready for them before they arrive. So let's dive back into those deficiencies. We're going to be talking more about the micronutrients. And these are very important, but as we go down in them, they're going to be, you need, your plant needs less of them. So like I said before, if we had a list from 1 to 15, then the three that I'm going to be mentioning at the end are the three that are most important for your soil. And then we just talked about 4, 5, and 6. Now we're going to be talking about 7, 8, 9, 10 through 15. Then we're going to go back and talk about your soils, big three to wrap out this episode. So the first one that is number six is iron deficiency. I personally struggle with iron deficiency as a human, but your plants need iron as well. Iron is an essential micronutrient that plays a vital role in plant health. It helps to create chlorophyll and enables the transfer of electrons within cells. Without sufficient iron, plants may exhibit yellowing between veins a condition known as intervenal caloris. I hope I said that right. Iron deficiencies can occur in soils with high pH or excessive phosphorus, which can inhibit the plant's ability to absorb iron. So that's why it's so important, I'm gonna say it again, to really test your soil for your pH and your other nutrients, because I'm gonna tell you that story in just a minute. And it's on this, it's all about what's in your soil and then not allowing it to be utilized by your plants. Additionally, waterlogged soil can also limit iron intake. This is important when you are growing your seedlings, especially inside, that you don't overwater them that soil is going to drown your plant and that's this is technically how it drowns your plant it creates iron deficiencies also in your garden your garden only needs most vegetable plants need an inch of water a week so if it has rained this is where I talk about rain gauges. They're so important when you are growing. They're really great for also when you're harvesting rainwater. That's another episode, but they're really important in keeping track of how much water your plants in your garden are getting. Sometimes we want to set a timer for our plants or put them on a timer to, and walk away and we just know that our soil is being watered every day at such and such time. That's important that the, yes, your plants get water. And yes, that does bring a little bit of peace of mind, a little bit of not as much hard work, but we also need to tie that into what actual rain occurred that week. So if I got a deluge of a half inch of rain, I only need to water my plants for the rest of the week, a half inch of rain. But if I got three days of rain and it accumulated an inch, I don't need to water my soil at all. So it's really important that you keep track with a rain gauge. And in fact, if you want to know what kind of rate your sprinklers are using or what kind of rate, if you don't aren't using drip lines, drip lines will tell you how much 
per hour that they drip out. But if you're using a sprinkler and you want to know how much water is coming out of your sprinkler in say 15 minutes, put a rain gauge in the middle of your garden where you're sprinkling and it'll fill it up and tell you how much water your sprinkler is putting onto your soil in that amount of time. So to correct iron deficiencies, gardeners can apply iron chillets, which provide plants with readily available iron. In some soil, adding sulfur can also help reduce the pH levels and improve iron absorption. So if you looked at your soil test and you already have iron, but your plants are showing that you have low iron, then something is stopping the uptake of that. And organic matter can help to release iron into the soil. Why? because of the micronutrients that are in organic matter. So their next deficiency, magnesium. Magnesium is another vital nutrient that plants require for proper growth and development. Magnesium plays a crucial role in chlorophyll production and energy transfer. Without sufficient magnesium, plants may exhibit yellowing between veins, similar to iron deficiency. Magnesium deficiency can occur in soil with a low pH or sandy soil because you don't have the organic matter, right? Because organic matter also does another thing. It holds nutrients. It kind of is a bank that like when you deposit your money and your bank holds on to it, that's what organic matter does in your soil. You deposit your amendments, you are doing all the things to make sure your soil is balanced, but if you have sandy soil or lack of organic matter or those types of things, you don't have a bank to put those nutrients in and they'll wash away when you water. That's why organic matter is so important. That's why I keep talking about organic matter. One great way to correct magnesium deficiency is adding Epsom salt or magnesium rich fertilizers. I personally use Epsom salt, but you have to watch because it's also a salt. And in an episode, I think it's a blog post episode that I did a few years back, or if you read the Bible and it talks about salting the fields so that the crops don't grow anymore, salt is a very detrimental, think of the Dead Sea, right? The Dead Sea is full of salt, things don't grow. So it's a detrimental thing to your soil. So be really cautious and make sure you're testing to make sure this is a reason that you are lacking. And really the best way to apply this deficiency or this uh, cure or amendment to your plants is not to the soil. So if you're noticing it in your plants and you know you need to fix your magnesium, organic matter is not going, it's, it's inorganic matter. Additionally, organic matter is a great way to increase magnesium in your soil. But it's going to take time. So if your plants are suffering from it and you do want to use the Epsom salt cure, it's best to just dilute it and spray it directly on the plants because then the magnesium will land and the plants will suck it in. You're using the folic reaction. That is a better way to use that amendment. So the next is calcium deficiency. So now here we are. What I have been struggling with for years is calcium deficiency. And one of the reasons I know that I have calcium deficiency or that my plants are suffering from calcium deficiency is blossom end rot. Blossom end rot in tomatoes is a true sign or in your plants. And blossom end rot means what's happening is calcium is needed. So your flower forms... But when the 
bee comes or whatever uh, insect comes and pollinates that flower. And when that flower begins to make fruit in that instance or that process, it needs calcium. Tomatoes definitely have high levels of calcium. So when your plant suffering come from calcium and they need to make fruit, they'll still kind of make fruit, but the blossom end will begin to rot. They'll begin to deteriorate because it wasn't formed right in the beginning. The best way to diagnose this is a soil test. You also need to be looking at your pH as well. Now, in my story here, I'm going to tell you the things that I did. So for years, I have always planted my tomatoes, and this helped for a while. I've always planted my tomatoes with eggshells in the bottom. So I dig the hole, crunch up a bunch of eggshells for my chickens, and then I put a little bit of soil, and then I put my tomato plant on top of that and fill in the rest of the hole around my tomato. I also started using bone meal or crushed limestone. I've even poured, I have a small mini dairy here, calcium, you know, milk is very high in calcium. I've diluted it and poured it directly on with the folic application and on my soil. That still didn't help. But here is the key. Here's a little, what I say is funny now, but was very frustrating when I was in the midst of this was I did all of these things trying to get calcium to my plants. And for years, now I've been growing a garden. This is going to be my 19th year growing a garden. This was the store, the occurrence of this happened probably about 10 years ago. I used the the big box store soil tests and I test for those big three and I didn't even think about testing for calcium and I just listened to my plant and just focused on what my plant was telling me. I have blossom and rot. Everything points to calcium deficiency and I just looked at that and I did the eggshell thing. I did the bone meal thing. I was pouring milk on my tomatoes. I was doing all the things and I was still suffering from blossom and root. But the biggest thing that I truly found out is I finally broke down and said, you know what? I am struggling with this. I don't understand what's going on. I am going to send my soil test actually to a lab. I'm going to do it. And then I found out it was free. I had been avoiding it for 10 years. I found out it was free and it was like, I wanted just, you know, the smack in the middle of the forehead kind of thing. Why didn't I do this before? And I sent it off and I get the results back. And you know what it said? Yes. It said that my soil was very high in calcium because I have clay soil and then it should be high in calcium and that that's normal. But how then? How? Right? How is my plant struggling showing all the symptoms of low calcium if my soil has calcium in it? Okay, so let's step back. Calcium in your soil is amazing. But other thing my soil test said was that I was low in nitrogen. But I was sitting there going, okay. So then I started researching low in nitrogen. Then I looked even deeper and it was like, well, I grew broccoli in this spot last year. So my soil was more deficient from nitrogen because of the plant that I was choosing to grow there before I put my tomatoes there. So that's really important to be keeping track of. So not only was my soil low in nitrogen, But those beds were even lower in nitrogen because I wasn't able to replace it. So going deep dive into the research, I found out that when a plant is lacking in nitrogen, as we talked about before, it can't absorb other nutrients. So even though I had all this calcium in my soil, I didn't have another nutrient that was tied in that allowed my plant to absorb that. Also, it was a very rainy year that year. And because of that, rainy springs, rainy cold springs, they, especially with my clay soil, 
they lock up water, which then also locks up less oxygen, which meant that the compost that I was putting into my soil, which I just put on top of my soil, was not being um, pulled into my soil as quickly and the microorganisms weren't working as vigorously because the soil was fairly cold. All of that piled in because nothing can be absorbed by plant until the microorganisms poop it out. Sorry that sounds so gross, but that's the truth. The microorganism, that's why I'm going to say every single time compost, my organic matter that's going to solve these deficiencies is because it's the microorganisms that are in that that eat these nutrients, put them in smaller forms, they get put into the water sludge and then sucked up into the plant. That whole story That whole instance, the whole thing I was fighting was calcium deficiency, but in actual truth, I was fighting nitrogen deficiency. And once I fixed the nitrogen deficiency the next year, I had amazing tomatoes because the plants could finally suck up the calcium. Isn't that just... It's so amazing how God makes all of these things tie into each other and they're so important and it's just amazing the things that he does to form this world. It's just so important and that's why it's so important to really get into understanding your soil and diving into not just looking at the in external symptoms and this goes into your health as well. Don't just look at the external symptoms. You need to dive in. You need to maybe do some really deep tests to find out the internal symptoms as well. And a lot of all of these deficiencies can be fixed with organic matter because of the microorganisms. They are so important. So if you do test your soil and you do find out that you are low in calcium, just make sure that you are checking your pH as well. pH is very important when with calcium intake. pH is just so important with your plants because plants Most vegetables in a garden need between 6.5 to 7 for optimal plant growth. So the next one before we get into micro deficiencies is sulfur deficiency. Sulfur deficiency is another common issue that can impact the growth and health of your plants. This deficiency often occurs in alkaline soils. There we go back to the pH and those in low organic matter. Back to those two words. Gardeners can address sulfur deficiency by incorporating organic matter such as compost or manure into soils. Additionally, fertilizers containing sulfur like ammonium sulfate, gypsum, that's gypsum is something that you use to change your pH, or sulfur-coated urea can be added to the soil. Regular soil testing is crucial to identify any nutrient deficiencies. I'm going to say this again and again. Get your soil tested. It's probably going to be cheaper than you think it will be, and they're going to test for more than just the big three. Yes, the big three are important, but sometimes it's those other things that may be stopping those big three from being absorbed. So micronutrients. Now, remember I said there's 15 things that you need, and these are going to be smaller. So your big macronutrients, that means bigger, are your nitrogen, your potassium, and your phosphorus. And then you get into your micronutrients, like your iron that we talked about, and your magnesium. But there's also zinc, and there's a long list. So when you're getting your soil test, just ask them to also test for the micronutrients as well. Micronutrients, yes, they are required in small quantities, but they still are very crucial and very important for plant processes like photosynthesis and enzyme activation. Micronutrient deficiencies can result in stunted growth, yellowing of leaves for fruit production, soil pH, 
again, plays a very vital role in the availability of micronutrients. And just be sure you're asking your lab or your the place you're getting your soil test to try to test for. And they may not do all 15, but have them test for as many as possible. You're going to be able to get a lot of these by organic matter. I'm going to get into what I think are the big three, what your soil thinks is the big three in just a moment. But now it is time for the Growing With God segment of this episode where you and I dive into the Bible and learn more about our Lord and Savior. Today we're going to be continuing our series on faith in Hebrews 11. I'm going to start with Hebrews 11 through 12. If you want to read along with me, I'm reading out of the NIV translation. But if you want to go back to the previous little Bible studies that we have been doing on faith in action, be sure to check out the previous episodes uh, beginning at the beginning of this year in season nine. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the skies and as countless as the sands on the seashore. In this verse, we're talking about Sarah. Last week, we talked about Abraham and his faith going away and living in a foreign country and picking up everything and taking his family with him. And one of the promises God gave to Abraham for doing this was that he would be fruitful. He would give birth to a nation. And Sarah wasn't sure about this. They were both in their older years. So I'm going to read you the story of Sarah. This is in Genesis 18. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre, where he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. So he knows who these people are. He said, if I had found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Very well, they answer. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three shehes of the finest flour and knead it and make some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a twice tender calf and brought it before the Lord. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appropriate time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh, but he said, Yes, you did. Now, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever seen this vision of what God has for you or what God's asking you? And you're like, how is that supposed to happen? You may, like Sarah, have some kind of restraints that you think you have that could not make what God promises possible. I know I personally had this restraint. I felt 
I was not a person to go out and talk to people. I was a shy child. I'm an introvert. I don't really function well standing up in front of people. So he made it possible for me to do this podcast episode. He wanted me to teach. He wanted me to teach you how to grow your own food. He wanted me to teach you about God. And so he gave me the tools to do this. What are some things that you might think that there's no way God is asking me to do this because that's just not who I am? Sarah felt this way and it was only through her faith. And even when she's laughing, she kind of says this. Let me pull back to that verse again. After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? It's a question, but it's also just a question of finally. So there's a little bit of both here. She feels like she is, how is she going to do this? She's old. But on the other side, we ha- she also knows that God is faithful. And she knows that if it was dependent on her, it wasn't going to happen. So look, let's look at Genesis 21, where we actually see this come to life. Genesis 21, 1 through 7. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, and a very at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So here we have the promise being fulfilled. So far, God has filled all the promises that he told about to Abraham and Sarah. And we can rest on those promises as well. We can rest that God is faithful and that he will do what he said he will do. And if we can rest in that, then we know that John 3.16 is true, that God gave his one and only son so that we, you and I, may have eternal life when we believe in him. When we believe that Jesus came to earth, was God, died on the cross, was crucified, and rose again, we are given that promise because we know that God is faithful. Let me also read to you Hebrews 10 verse 19 through 23. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, what we just talked about, right, with John 3, 16, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, Jesus Christ. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, that's Jesus again, he is our high priest, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith Brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unwaveringly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. God is faithful in everything that he does. He set out to create the earth, he did it. He set out to save mankind. He did it. And not only did he do it, but he gave up his one and only son. And Jesus gave up his one and only life so that you and I may be cleansed and that we may walk with God, our true purpose on earth 
of walking with God. We walked with God in the beginning and we will again walk with God. And it's not by our doing, but it's by God's faith. God's faith in himself, essentially, because he made the promise and he will fulfill it. So when we hear the promise and we know who God is, we know that those promises will be fulfilled. And maybe you are doubtful. Maybe there's something holding you back that you think that is too big for God. Remember, there's nothing too big for God. Sarah, in her old age, gave birth to a son, Isaac. And from Isaac, there was a great nation. I want to remind you this week that if God's asking you to step out in faith and do something that you don't understand, you can rest in the faith that God has a plan and that that plan is for your good. So let's wrap up this episode with my big three, or technically your soil's big three, the most important things your soil needs. And we've kind of been talking about it a little bit through the last parts here, and it all ties into those big words, organic matter, but the essential thing that we need to remember when we're building soil or we're trying to fix our soil or trying to do something to our soil, we have to connect to those microorganisms. They are the key. They are the solution. They are the life of our soil. So while micronutrients deficiencies are often the first first culprit in ailing gardens, really it all comes back to this one though. It's carbon deficiency. Carbon deficiency can wreak havoc on your plants because carbon deficiency leads to the other deficiencies. I hope you see that. Carbon is an essential element for plant growth as it is a major compound of organic matter in the soil. Without an adequate amount of carbon, soil can become compact and lack the necessary nutrients for plants to thrive. Additionally, a lack of carbon in the soil can lead to decreased microbial activity. That's those microorganisms. Carbon is their home. Carbon is where they build their schools or whatever they do, but this is where they live. And if we don't have the proper levels of carbon, we have too much sand, we have too much clay, clay is what I fight, then we have deficiencies on all levels. Because without the microorganisms, we cannot, even though our soil test says we have calcium, look at my story, my soil is full of calcium, but I was low in nitrogen. I was low in nitrogen because I was low in carbon because the microorganisms hadn't been able to mic- to break down the nitrogen that I had put into the soil because it was a cold spring and they just weren't as active. All of that can build on itself and it all comes back to that root of carbon. So to combat carbon deficiency, gardeners can incorporate organic matter in their soil. This can be achieved by adding compost, cover crops, waste from cover crops, leaves. The list can go on and on, but you do want to make sure that whatever you're doing, that it's broke down. You don't want to add fresh, bright green things to your garden expecting to have carbon right away. So if you do do a cover crop and you turn in that cover crop, I'm not a big fan of turning the soil, but if you turn in that cover crop or you leave it on top of the soil to decompose, you can't plant right away. You need to allow that that organic matter to break down and that releases carbon into the soil. Also changing your practices. When we till When the soil is disturbed and flipped over, that's why I just mentioned that I'm not a big fan of turning in the soil, that 
that reduces carbon because what happens is when you flip that soil over, it actually, carbon becomes airborne. Carbon can now be sucked up into the air, carbon dioxide, you know what carbon is. And carbon deficiency, even though you could be putting in a lot of organic matter into your soil, you still could be having carbon deficiencies because you're turning the soil. And that leads to our next deficiency is oxygen. But the opposite of oxygen is too much oxygen. So that's what happens when we turn our soil. When we turn our soil, the carbon and the oxygen interact with each other, which creates carbon dioxide, right? Back to science class. And that robs your soil of carbon. So I really, and it's only been about 10 years that I've been doing non-till. Sometimes you have to till to get the garden established. And I understand that completely. But you also need to remember that every time you till, you are reducing your carbon. You are killing micronutrients because you're exposing them to the air. And all of that builds on itself. So try switching over to non-till. Now, non-till doesn't mean we're not aggravating the very top, like three inches of the soil. When I talk about till, I mean the deep down rototilling, taking six to eight inches and flipping it up on top. There's so many other reasons that no-till is so good for your soil. It's also good for reducing weeds and so much more. I have a blog post all about that. I'll put the link in the show notes. But I also go very deep dive into all of these deficiencies, all of this information, which I have another deficiency that I'm going to get to, two more, but I want to really talk about a book that I wrote, I think it's been a couple years ago, that really dives into understanding all this connection in your soil. Your soil is a living and breathing organism, and you need to treat it as such. So when you do the deep tilling, you are kind of ripping the skin off of that organism and throwing it to the wind. And you need to see that. And in my book, I don't really, you know, I don't get on a pedestal really. And and kind of what I sound of like right now, I'm not trying to get on my soapbox, I promise. But our soil is so important. And in my book, I really dive into the things that I learned, how I learned the connections, the research that I did that made me, you know, want to smack myself in the forehead with my with my calcium deficiencies and how I learned that the microorganisms are so important and practices that you can use to create organic matter. I go into how to build compost in my book. I go into cover crops in my book. What, what what cover crops are good for your soil? What ones are not good for your soil? I go, you know, deep dive. But the, I think the really essential part of my book and the reason I wrote my book is because for the longest time, and maybe this is you, I felt that I was not the expert. So how did I have the right to be changing my soil? How did I have the right to test my soil? How did I have the know-how or the knowledge to even care for my soil? It just, it felt easier and less stressful just to plant the seed and keep growing year after year after year. But the soil is the median that your plants grow into and you have to step up and you have to be the spokesman and you have to put get on your own soapbox for your soil because your soil is the root of all growth even on your homestead i get into this even deeper when i talk about permaculture practices in my book and how they help with the animals because there's a story in my book that talks about how you know i wanted organic matter i wanted compost for my garden but i 
couldn't afford it. I could not afford compost at, you know, going to my garden center and just buying loads and loads of compost after one another. And I just didn't understand how I was ever going to fix my soil. But in my book, I talk about how I tapped into God's natural systems and found that if I just changed certain things on how I raised my animals, I could make my own compost. I could make my own organic matter and I could make a heaping load of it. So I just want to, I'd love for you to read my book. I'll put the link in the, if you are new to growing a garden, if you're new and you're really worried about messing up your soil or feeling that you aren't qualified, dive into my book because it, it's, it'll open your eyes. I promise you, it'll open your eyes. And I will put the link to that in the show notes. Actually, the last one deficiency that I have for you is oxygen deficiency. And this goes back to that carbon. When we have too much oxygen, the carbon disappears. But when we have lack of oxygen, we also have lack of microorganisms that could live in the carbon. So this is looked over by so many people because it's a simple deficiency and it's a simple fix because oxygen is in our air and it's just how we treat our soil that that this can be fixed. So you can experience lack of oxygen in compacted or waterlogged soil. Both of those restrict the oxygen flow to your roots of your plants. The roots need oxygen to breathe and absorb nutrients and without it the plants will struggle to grow properly. Oxygen is so important. To prevent oxygen deficiencies in your garden, ensure proper drainage by avoiding overwatering and planting in well-drained soil. You can also aerate the soil by using a garden fork to loosen it up or create air pockets for better oxygen circulation. Now that didn't say till your soil because tilling is going to create too much oxygen. So what it means by garden fork is another word for the garden fork could be a broad fork. I personally, I haven't purchased a broad fork yet. I have a potato spud fork. But what I do is I push the potato spud fork. A spud fork is kind of like a shovel in handle and it has, it's very flat, very strong pitchfork kind of bottom but I push that into the soil and then I grab the handle and I pull it towards me and only lift the soil slightly and then it goes back into place so when I lift that soil I let the air flow through but when I pull my spud fork back out I've left little holes that the soil can go into so that's what you're doing with this garden fork you're still keeping the organic matter the soil structure but you're just opening the soil up for a little bit to increase oxygen flow. By addressing oxygen deficiencies in your garden, you'll provide your plants with the necessary oxygen for to grow healthy and strong. So make sure to incorporate these practices into your garden routine to create an optimal growth environment for your plants. These are the big three that you should be concentrating on. And these are the things that you should address first before you put any amendments in there, especially if you're not testing your soil. I would go for your organic matter, your carbon first, at least for a year, and then retest and see where your new levels are at. Because what you're going to do is you're going to ignite those microorganisms. You're going to let them have a place to live. You're going to provide them with the oxygen and the hydrogen that they need to do all the things that they do. And then you're going to, you're going to see big changes. Now, if you don't see big changes after these first big three, because these big three, especially in a homestead, are 
easy to do. They just take a little muscle. They don't take need to take a lot of money. It, it, you might have to buy compost if you're not growing it yourself, but you can easily grow it yourself. There's so many ways to gr- create compost in your garden. It doesn't always have to just depend on what you can produce, but if you have animals, you can start collecting their manure and their... So maybe reach out to a local farmer and maybe they've just cleaned out their barn and you can get some really readily already almost mixed up organic matter and compost. But just be sure that you are because your garden is so important and chemical fertilizers fertilizers and pesticides are so readily used nowadays that you need to make sure that you're getting hay, if you're getting old hay or grass clippings from people that don't use weed and feed because the weed part is pesticides and farmers that don't use pesticides on their grasses or their hay before they harvest those. There's very simple solutions to your soil problems. Sometimes as growers, we want to say, oh, it's a deficiency in this. and Oh, it's a deficiency in that. Oh, no, it's a but. Oh, it's all this. And we can read this list of 10 things and, and get really worried. But I want you to focus on those three first. Oxygen, hydrogen, and carbon. And once you get those balanced, all of them, probably all the other ones, will fall into place. And if they don't, your soil test will tell you. So the quality of your soil is vital to the success of your garden. Nutrient deficiencies can dramatically impact your growth of your plants, ultimately affecting the productivity of your garden. Remember to learn more about improving your garden soil and becoming that expert of your soil. I know that you can be you can grab my free guide, Building Soil Guide, and I'll put that also in the show notes. Or you can dive into my ebook, Dirt, Finding the Solution to Building Soil Health, where I walk you through the steps to unlocking the secrets in your soil. So I want to thank you for joining me today in this Pray Just Plant podcast. And, and as always, don't let the world hold you back. Pray, just plant. <music>